0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
2: This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Julie Frazier of Waco, Texas. Julie will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and James Petragallo, And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law
3: order, Law Order.
4: The F-N-O-G of all these procedures, baby, lie in order, lie in order, lie in order, line in order, these are their stories, these are their stories,
2: Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or The Mothership. And today we're looking at Law & Order Original Recipe, Season 15, Episode 16 – The Sixth Man.
3: Your Honor, the victim was suing Mr. Inwood for $20 million. And Mr. Inwood may have blamed him for his suspension, which has cost him dearly both financially and professionally.
2: Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Slate's mom and dad are fighting podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca.
3: Hey, Kevin. I'll do my best not to heckle you too much during the show. Promise.
2: Yeah, even though it's a tie-in to the show, that happens all the freaking time. It does.
3: It's basically what we're making our living doing.
2: (laughs) Well, rounding out our panel is a very special guest from Small Town Murder and the Crime in Sports podcast. James Petrogallo. Hey, James.
1: Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to get into some Law and Order nerddom. This is great. I'm pumped. You can totally geek
2: out with
3: us. And sports.
1: And sports. Yeah, this is great. You, there's all the elements.
3: It's the rare episode where we're not going. Our guest isn't going to ask. Why did you have me on to talk about this episode?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, I get it now. This is perfect. Yeah, this makes perfect sense.
2: Are you an expert either in crime or sports?
1: Uh, it's it's come to, uh, at this point, I feel like those are the only two things I know about at this point, are crime and sports <laughs> and, and murders that take place in tiny places that no one wants to go to. That's, that's all I got at this point in my life.
2: Well, your podcasts are very popular. You work with your partner, Jimmy. Jimmy. And how did you guys, you're both um, stand-up comedians, right? Yes,
1: exactly, yeah.
2: And now you sit down in front of a different kind of mic. How did you guys come together?
1: Uh, Well, we we met in a sleazy motel parking lot. Uh, That's actually true. Uh, That's where we met, We both, uh-huh. we both did comedy, and uh, a comedian friend introduced us, and he happened to live, not Jimmy, our friend lived in a sleazy motel, and so we met in that parking <laughs> lot, and uh, we just started. We, we always had a good vibe. We go back and forth well, and we like making fun of things, and so uh, we decided to turn that into... Uh, a podcast. Let's record this. And uh, that's what we do. Now, so. It
3: sounds like the cold open of an SVU episode, right? They <laughs> meet in
2: a sleazy motel. <laughs> parking And it's kind of how you and I met, too. Yes. So,
3: And then we found a body by the dumpster. <laughs> that's
1: how every great relationship starts.
2: We once had on musician Mike Doty, and he explained how he got into Law and & Order. And it's that as a entertainer, you're often traveling, you're working in the evening, and so... The daytime, what's on TV in the hotel is law and order is that your experience
1: uh, no actually I'm from uh, I've got into law and order when I was a kid uh, my grandmother's a huge court junkie and would watch every court show on TV and uh, all the ones in the afternoon divorce court and superior court and all those like <laughs> early 90s late 80s shows that were beyond in the afternoon and so anything that has to do with court I've always been into any sort of you know law and order was it was like the perfect show when I was 12 when it came out it's like this is great so I've, I've been kind of in it since the beginning
2: for law and order and did grandma want you to be a lawyer and she's terribly disappointed by
1: <laughs> yeah of your, course of course career choice yeah she's from Italy she wanted but you go to the law school and blah 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 and then yeah no not at all no I go to no school <laughs> and I uh, make fun of people who uh, are at their lowest point already so really you know she's very ashamed I bring great shame to the family
2: I think Hudson University has an online course that you probably could take <laughs> probably all the way from Arizona <laughs>
1: Probably, I wouldn't doubt
3: that. That great institution, Hudson University. <laughs> yeah, you know, where only half
2: the faculty are racist, the other half are murderers. We are Hudson, where the bad guys go to
0: school.
1: Perfect.
2: <laughs> You're a longtime Law & Order nerd, self-professed of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law & Order detective
1: team. Okay, all right, now this is a tough one here. Uh, you got, You gotta go... You gotta go with uh, with with Logan and Briscoe. I feel like that's your classic. Mm-hmm. But yep. I'm, I, see, Lenny Briscoe is probably my favorite human being ever. But. You also, he replaced Paul Sorvino, which is uh, he's Paul Sorvino, man. They had they had Pauly from Goodfellas on there, which yeah. is incredible that he was great, too. He had a gentle touch. Oh, I love Paul Sorvino. But then Lenny Briscoe comes in and he's your uncle that makes Thanksgiving bearable. You know what I'm saying?
2: <laughs>
1: so I, I I have to go with him. He keeps the hot headed Logan at bay. Uh, that's my that's my team right there. Definitely. Classic pick. Yeah,
2: classic. James, do you have a favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite line order district? attorney prosecutorial
1: team Oh man see now here uh, it's very odd I'm very partial to first season prosecutorial team pre Jack McCoy we're talking Uh-huh If that guy the first guy now if 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 I Ben Stone yeah, Ben Stone thank you I, uh, I I remember the actor's name and I couldn't remember the uh, actual character name If that guy's prosecuting me I'm worried personally He looks like a prick <laughs> He looks like a prick that has his facts straight <laughs> and you know what i mean i'm telling you right now you got to uh robinette the assistant there he really had it together think about this this is 1990 you had a black assistant mm-hmm. da that guy had his shit together
2: you know what i mean and he had the high fade oh he
1: had the high fade you know it. when you see that high fade and then the bald stone coming in next to him you know you're in deep shit at that point
3: <laughs> to me that's the team
1: right
2: there
3: sanctimonious fact knowing prick and a high fade Yeah, it's ah. perfect combo one two punch
2: now i don't know if you're uh if you're up to date on SVU, but the new character is Ben Stone's son, oh. he is the new DA. So they're bringing, like, everything back around again. Wow. Well, that's so stupid. Only the son... Who apparently, you know, at one point was a uh, pitcher for the Chicago Cubs, is not as freaking sanctimonious as uh, Michael Moriarty or oh, yes. yes. Ben Stone.
1: Yeah, Ben Stone. Uh, he, he, those people, you could see it in his eye. I, fe- I feel like he, the jury felt him. They were like, oh, he's pissed. Yeah, they knew. They knew it was coming. <laughs> I like that.
3: And he always had that, like, Shakespearean waver in his voice where he was like, you don't know. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that was some serious stuff going on in court right there that was that's drama man that's what i'm talking about
2: now let's look at the first half of this episode season 15 episode 16 the sixth man there lies on the floor ira walderman a die hard sports fan who died hard in his apartment fontana and green know one thing the killer is big
0: he was lifted off his feet by his neck the drag from his body weight helped to break the vertebrae and walderman was what Five-nine? Roughly. So we're looking for somebody who was what? A well over six feet. And muscular. Whoever did this
2: was a big, strong guy. Was he killed over his rent-controlled apartment worth millions of dollars? Nope. Maybe it's the $20 million lawsuit he has against a pro basketball player from that storied franchise, the Philadelphia Cannons. (laughs) Enter point guard and tall man Silas Inwood. He was suspended for an on-court fight with New York fans who threw beer at him. Other season ticket holders said Walderman always heckled Inwood when Philadelphia was in town. The detectives learned Walderman showed up at a launch party for Inwood's video game when he got into an argument with Inwood's equally tall agent, Cousin Reggie Eggers. So, who did Walderman open his door for? Inwood says he was at his college coach's place the night of the murder, but he got a parking ticket near Walderman's apartment. When they learn Inwood had a dismissed and sealed arrest... Green uses a loophole in an old criminal database to find his fingerprints. They say they'll arrest Inwood the next time Philly is in town, which seems to be all the freaking time. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> okay, James, we hear the characters bemoan how athletes have changed over time. Fontana says you...
0: Sports page nowadays. You read it, it's like reading a crime letter. You can't tell a phone's without a scorecard.
2: Uh, they're not wrong, James, are they?
1: No, it's funny too. No, yeah, they're not wrong at all. There's a lot of hallmarks here of uh, of truth in a lot of this, except for that. If they were
2: uh, wrong, you'd have no podcast to say. That's you know. the thing.
1: I would have lasted like three months. We'd have been like, "That's all we got." Thanks a lot, everybody. That's that's it. The thing that bothers me the most is he's a six foot nine point guard, which that doesn't really exist outside of <laughs> Magic Johnson. I feel like they could have done a little better with that. Uh, I love. First of all, I love the classic here. Uh, the delivering laundry to the dead guy is the way to bring mm. him in.
2: Walderman, you left your laundry in the dryer again. Walderman.
1: Usually, it's yeah, they're they're running in the park, something like that. I like that he's pissed off at this guy. Hey, Walderman, you dickhead! Oh, your laundry's in here again. Like he's <laughs> yeah. real pissed off at it, and he go, "Oh no, he's dead," and now he's not so mad about the laundry anymore. I like that uh, opening a lot, right there. Uh, yeah, this is this is a solid opening altogether. This is a, an intriguing Law and Order. You know, he's huge. Oh, it's perfect. i'm 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 in right away.
2: but I, I I would imagine even though after they found out he was dead, they would still take all of his old clothes out of that dryer <laughs> because they need it. Yes. In that
3: oh, yeah. apartment.
1: Oh, they're definitely leaving the basket.
3: Yeah, that's laundromat politics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that was rude. Yeah. I don't care if you're dead. You still take your damn laundry out of the dryer. I mean, that is your responsibility. You should be crawling to the door.
1: <laughs> New York City laundry is hardcore. Yeah, you got to put that in your will. If you die, you, someone's got to come get your laundry ASAP. That's, <laughs> you got to have that set up ahead of time, definitely.
3: Now, Kevin, I, I know we're going to focus heavily on the sports storyline in this episode because that is important, but you talked about the MacGuffin storyline, the, the real estate mm-hmm, storyline, yep. and you know that I am obsessed with the real estate on on order yeah. like I was loving this part of the episode. I loved when they went to the neighbor's apartment and they were like, your apartment doesn't look anything like that shithole apartment that the dead guy lived in. And she was like, oh, rent control. He's rent control. <laughs> Stain. I'm co-op.
1: She was disgusted. <laughs> disgusted. I,
3: love, I loved it. I loved it.
1: The prospect that they would think she's rent control. How dare you? I am co-op. Are <laughs> you kidding me?
2: She's a nylon, which I hadn't heard before. That's amazing. New York Lon- Nobody La- says London. that. No. Nobody,
3: no. Nobody's
1: I've never up. heard that one either. <laughs> the
3: co-op people say that.
1: Yeah, right. that's, that's we're not in the co-op circle, guys. That's our problem.
2: So what's the chance that in a stadium of 30,000 people, this player would continue to hear this one fan and be rattled by him?
1: Uh, z- <laughs> zero. I actually <laughs> I actually did some research on this, actually. I got into... Uh, there's this Get book. Get the fuck out of here. I swear to God. There's this book called Scorecasting, okay? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a terrific book about uh, basically psychologically why sports happen the way they happen and it's very predictable and things like that and uh, and they talk a lot about this actually and you, f- f- athletes, completely block out fans they do I've, I've known professional athletes they don't hear unless there's 300 people in the stands then they'll hear individual people besides that it's a hum and like in basketball you know how they wave around things and scream when they do foul shots on the road yep. you know they're waving around balloons and shit well that actually does zero like there's the exact uh, per- they're just as good at shooting free throws on the road or at home so that proves they don't hear the crowd at all uh, so this is a complete crock of shit
2: or, or if you're Shaquille O'Neal you never make it anyway exactly. it doesn't so matter it doesn't, yeah yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah this is garbage
2: but there's an old baseball term which is called rabbit ears which apparently you know outfielders always hear xyz or, or they get rattled by it I guess maybe that's just because
3: they're bored because they're, dra- they're playing the outfield <laughs> in baseball they're, it's different and it's, quiet, it's not the so same thing too. there's big lulls there's <laughs> big lulls
1: in between pitches where it's silent in baseball and you can hear That's more of a conversational thing. Basketball's moving. Basketball and football, they don't hear a damn thing from anybody unless they're, like, stopped and on the
2: side. Rebecca, can you take me to the timeout sports bar, please?
3: (laughs) Oh, you mean where the ladies wear prison underwear as their workout outfit?
2: <laughs> no, no, those are referees. If they're if they're horizontal stripes, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I
3: understand. I knew what it was supposed to be.
2: Oh, you did. Um, but fishnet stockings,
3: fishnet stockings, a pair of bloomers, mm-hmm. short little bloomers, and a tiny little bra, all in the referee stripe, which basically just looks like the same as old timey prison stripes. Yeah, it was hot. It was classy. Um, I'm thinking about changing the dress code for our podcast studio after seeing that. I
2: yep. could I could get down with that, <laughs> I mean for me anyway I'd be pretty comfortable.
1: We we usually work. record in that anyway, so that's I saw that and I was like, all right, I got into that. I was like, this is perfect. This I see what they're doing. She's ready for work, obviously.
3: It's <laughs> like one of those outfits. Like, do you put that on at home? Do you change into that <laughs> when you get to work? Do you exactly. Wear the, right, you wear that on the subway. Like, how does that work exactly?
2: <laughs> I, well, I guess you take it in a very small bag. <laughs> yeah, they they have a
1: locker room there. They they have to. There's no it way. It's yeah. a sports bar. Yeah, yeah.
2: They have to have locker rooms. Rebecca, this is our first episode that we've done where we have Fontana yeah. as as one of the characters.
3: A.K.A. Dennis Farina.
2: Dennis Farina. Is he just a cleaned up version of Briscoe?
3: No, he's Dennis Farina. Oh. I love Dennis Farina. I don't know if you know that. Dennis Farina is in one of my all-time favorite movies, Out of Sight. Out of Sight, yeah. Uh, he is, uh, I don't think, I think he's got a little bit more um, of a fluidity to his policing and his jargon and his banter. Are
0: you talking to us? Because the only dog that's going to get put down around here is you. You want to tell your baby cousin to put a muzzle
3: on it? Briscoe has a rhythm and a pace that you Mm. come to, like, define Briscoe by. And Fontana, uh, you know... Dennis Franz is just a different kind of actor. He's a character. He's like a, a different kind of character actor. He doesn't have that sort of like big, stagey kind of thing. That, um, but no, I, I don't think he's a, a plug and play replacement at all. I, I think that it would have been great if he'd hung around for longer on the show because I felt like they were just starting to figure out what to do with him uh, at the end of his very short tenure on Law and Order.
2: So, James, you're obviously um, a Briscoe disciple. Yeah. What did you think? I mean, I don't know if you. This is season fifteen. I don't know if you stuck around this long to see uh, him. What, what, what do you think of this character? Okay.
1: The Dennis Farina, I don't mind him. I like that. They went with a complete opposite of, of Briscoe. You had to go with obviously the older white guy, uh, you know, in the, in the role just for aesthetic purposes. Clearly, <laughs> I know that's the way it worked, but I like, I like that they went with a completely different type. They didn't try to like get another, you know, kind of Briscoe had that kind of grandfatherly. Like I said, that kind of uncle thing, this guy uh, Farina has a, just a barely, barely covered shield of shield of rage he's just got a there's rage there but just barely barely being covered i feel like so he he comes across as very charming but i feel like if you don't if you don't give him what he wants he's going to give you the back of his hand that's what i feel like with farina i like that in a detective
2: well fontana drives a mercedes Hmm. wears tailored suits and has walking around money (laughs) so they they really never kind of dispel the idea that maybe he's mobbed up
1: yeah, and he he talks about gambling a lot too in this episode, especially. He's like, hey, you know, eh, some of us like to deal in cash. You know, he's like, he's, got, he's very like, uh, you know, eh, he's like this old street cop kind of a
2: guy from a foregone era. And we
3: know that Green has a gambling problem, right? That's true. And he doesn't really seem to be particularly sensitive to that and talking about gambling in front of his gambling addict partner.
2: Yeah, because maybe he didn't catch on.
3: <laughs> he hasn't been told yet.
2: <laughs> yeah, really. Here's an interesting bit of trivia the, the character Fontana apparently transfers. Uh, to New York from the Chicago Police Department,
3: mm-hmm.
2: both Fontana and Dennis Farina were both Chicago cops mm-hmm. at one point. Really?
3: Yeah. Dennis Farina was actually a cop. Yeah. That explains a lot.
2: Was
1: he really? Wow. He was. Wow. He reminds me of one of like the the side characters in Goodfellas, who's like an actual gangster. You know what I mean? And they turned into an actor. <laughs> an actor. That's what he reminds me of.
2: It's like a Vigoda, like he really could pass for. Yeah. You know, actual mobster and all the, the crew is like keeping an eye out.
3: I like the backstory too because what they're basically saying is Dennis Farina can't not do that Chicago accent. No. So we're just going to build go yeah. that into his
0: character. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: You have to. You have to. That's coming out.
2: Yeah.
3: It's and, convenient for everyone.
2: When they brought on Anthony Anderson, yep. uh, they made him and the blackish years of yeah, y- y- and had, Order. Right, yes. the blackish years <laughs> they made him from Compton. Right. Like, he, like none of these guys, like he couldn't just be f- from Harlem if he has to be the quote unquote black cop. He yeah, yeah really. Compton?
3: yeah yeah different kind of streets
2: different kind of streets yeah. there's
1: plenty of black people in new york like it's not <laughs> you, you could not it's not out of the realm of possibility you grew up in the bronx or something
2: yeah you don't have to like stretch to like make a real excuse it's not like sandy in greece where right. it's like oh yeah. she's she's an australian uh exchange student <laughs> danny
1: <laughs> yeah that's ridiculous that, unnecessary too might i add very unnecessary, Sandy. I have a lot of Sandy issues, so that's that's a whole other podcast. Why'd she have her shoes off at Thunder Road? What the hell is she doing? Put your shoes Put your on, Sandy. Everywhere. Yeah, she's in a sleazy, disgusting uh, drainage thing uh, for for runoff, and she's in her in her socks and shoes like she's uh, watching some lawn bowling in, right. in, in, somewhere in England. It's ridiculous. And
3: and why do you care about your forty-seven-year-old rival, Cha Cha De Gregorio? That woman is old <laughs> as shit. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, I mean, it's like. Well, why are you dating somebody's Puerto Rican aunt? What's happening, Danny? I don't understand it. What's she had going more on? Wear on
2: her face and those tires. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so, the, and also the message of that is like, Sandy, if you want Danny to fall in love with you, completely change. Change who everything you
3: are. about you. Yeah, every,
1: everybody change for who you want. Both of you change.
3: Dress like a waitress from a sports bar in a Law and Order episode. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That'll do it right there. We have a hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's. That guy. James, can you name the actor who played defense attorney Leon Childs in this episode?
1: No, and I could and I and I recognize him but I have no idea who he is. Who is that?
2: That's Joe Morton. He was Miles Dyson, the man who brought a Skynet in Terminator 2. <laughs> Okay, there we go. Eight years ago, my client was arrested. The D.A. declined prosecution. And as Mr. McCoy is fully aware, all records relating to that arrest should have been sealed.
1: Now we're talking. Thank you. (laughs)
3: Yes. But more recently, he was on Scandal. I believe he plays Olivia Mm -hmm. Pope's evil dad on Scandal. Right. I don't watch that show, but I've clicked the past it enough times to be like, that's the guy who's on Scandal. That's on his
2: IMDb page. (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, uh, okay. Get another little side note. If you think back to Terminator 2, who played his wife in Terminator 2? James, do you know?
1: Oh, my God. No clue. Haven't seen it in so long. Don't remember.
2: Rebecca?
3: Esipatha Murgerson? Yes, her own <laughs> oh lieutenant Van
0: Buren.
1: Holy crap.
2: Without the wig.
1: <laughs> that is insane. Wow, yeah, so my mind Morton just exploded. Morton has
2: made uh, six law and order appearances, four as this character, the uh, defense attorney. And, uh, well, I don't know. These, these quote-unquote like, high-end defense attorneys mm-hmm. like who get paid a lot of money by celebrities aren't very successful. I don't know how come they keep getting these big retainers. <laughs> Jack McCoy just keeps cutting them off at the knees.
3: The guy who used to be on The Wire is pretty good. He, he seems to win a lot of cases. The guy who represented Lewis on SVU and represented represents basically everyone on SVU
2: is that Buchanan? I think is. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's the big guy, the big yeah. guy.
3: Yeah. And what's her face from my big big fat Greek wedding is, but she just seems to do pretty well. But the other ones suck. They completely suck.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're you're going down if you're a celebrity on Law and Order. You you're you're speaking of that. By the way, I'm fascinated with the basketball player also because where are they finding six foot nine actors? Like he <laughs> <laughs> he has to be like a, a failed. Con- college basketball player or something because there's just not a lot of six foot nine actors running around out there and he's not bad either like he's not terrible so i don't know where they found this guy good good it was either
2: a very short or a very long day for the casting director (laughs) that's poncho (laughs) hodge and he uh had his season at the the los angeles lakers Hmm. there we go but uh and this is actually his first acting appearance he continues to act and I have to ask, oh, can we get a, a, a rating or a, a review of his interpretation of Silas Inwood? Did he channel the character, Rebecca?
3: Um, <laughs> they put him in a fur coat when he got arrested. <laughs> so there was that. I mean, it's fine.
2: How, how about the way he was eating in the, that restaurant, the James, where, <laughs> restaurant? where he would chew and he obviously didn't have anything in his mouth. He was just holding <laughs> his fork and knife in a very classy way.
0: Look, all the fans look alike, all right? Especially
2: to jerks.
1: I love the way he did it too, because he would speak and then just take a cut and a bite. Like he really had it patterned out <laughs> nicely. Yeah, I like that. Very, very poor, very poor uh, 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 object work there, though, on the uh, on the acting uh, uh, on the dinner time. He needs to work on that a little bit. But otherwise, he was very good at being tall. So good for him. Kudos for <laughs> that. was for his
2: that. talent. Tall. He was great at it. Now it really does seem like the Cannons are the visiting team in New York a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Are there like six Playing teams in this Knicks. league? Yeah, <laughs> the fake Knicks,
3: which was great because they actually filmed that at Madison Square Garden. So it was like they're talking about fake teams in a real place, yeah. which I really enjoyed. I thought that was really fun. You
2: mean Madison Arena? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I, that's awesome. I love fake. I love fake teams and fake names and fake arenas like that. And and I love when they do that when they uh, make up sports leagues like there's something else. Can you not use this? Is the can you, are you not allowed to use the name of a team is that a legal thing just the name of the team or do they really want to show logos
3: it's licensing right
2: well, I imagine because it's NBC yeah. uh, that they are scared shitless to use a, an NBA team mm. in this, uh, A, because of the, the parallels to the rip from the headline story, but also- Oh, because yeah, um, he's, a,
1: he's, he's a murderer. Yeah, because yeah, so, yeah.
2: Stern would cry a little bit and say, you can't do that, and we're going to go to TNT, and you're never going to see maybe us Maybe if again. he was
1: a murder victim, <laughs> they would have let him use it. That's, that's different. But he's the murderer. Yeah, it's not going <laughs>
0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
2: All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. At arraignment, Inwood's fingerprints were found on the victim's wristwatch, but you don't have to watch Law & Order for 15 seasons to know that the defense is going to get those fingerprints kicked out. (laughs) Borgia learns that Walderman wasn't just a heckler. He was a stalker who'd showed up at Inwood's house, call Inwood's hotel room, and wake him up at night by playing Peter Gabriel from a boombox under his window. (laughs) Inwood switches his plea to self-defense, saying he went to the apartment to reason with Walderman, but he came after him with a kitchen knife. At trial, we hear phone messages Walderman left Inwood that were laced with coded racial language. McCoy, in the middle of a celebrity trial, now decides it's time to get some more evidence. (laughs) They find out Walderman talked to Inwood's son at that video game launch. Then on the stand, Inwood admits that went too far. Then McCoy asks the 6'9 athlete to stand next to a 5'8 bailiff to show how scary he is. The jury convicts (laughs) Inwood, but his jersey is now the number one bestseller. Uh, So did the writers miss a chance to throw in a whole bunch of extra basketball references in this show? (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) With the puns and the... Charges murder in the second degree.
3: I guess Philly won't be going to the playoffs this year. This is almost as exciting as Mr. Inwood's last game.
0: Well, it's far from a slam dunk, so to speak.
3: Sorry, Ms. Borgia. There'll be no home court advantage for you today.
0: They were
1: like... This is the time. It's like they've had all these on a blackboard. They had them all up on the whiteboard for like months. And they were like, we are going to use all these puns. And it finally paid yes. off that they collected them for months and months. Oh, my God. So much.
3: And whoever on that writing team is a basketball fan, just like basically wrote on a piece of paper. Here's what I would say if I were in the situation and then handed that piece of paper to that poor actress playing the arraignment judge who uh. like had way too deep of a knowledge of professional basketball for anyone, God, not just for a judge, yeah. but for anyone. <laughs>
2: everything. But the the thing that I always notice is they have like these celebrity arraigned on murder hearings yeah. and there's nobody in the everybody there's there for drunk driving <laughs> and you know a little domestic violence, nothing too crazy. Right, right. And there's where is the press like they should be like breaking down the doors so they could see this, uh, you know, this athlete being arraigned on murder.
3: Yeah, they should be. But they're nope. not because this is law and order nope. and uh, they save some money in that scene.
2: And you don't get a home court advantage.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. With the puns. With so much. <laughs> so bad. By the way, this was like the quickest confession in the history of crime when they got a, When they were the negotiation.
2: What are you offering? Man one. Man two. No jail time. Community service. Man one. Best I can do. Mr. Inwood admits killing Mr. Walderman.
1: They're just like uh, your fingerprints on the watch, and he's like, "All right, he killed her. Now what?" Like it was like, the, "All right, he killed him. Yeah, that's fine. Now what do we do?" Like it was the quickest. That lawyer sucks. You think they didn't, <laughs> they didn't take five minutes to think about it, to talk about it? Those two whispers, and then, "All right, fine, we did it. Yeah, fine." It was like that was. I know the Law and Order ones quick always with that, but this was ex- excessive. I thought, especially for an athlete who's so goddamn arrogant. Uh, the whole thing, this is what I don't get to. Uh, th- in this whole episode, this guy wouldn't have cared about about Walderman at all. Like, this basketball player, they're so self-obsessed, like, star players like this. They're mm-hmm. so... They don't give a shit who says what about who. If the guy shows up on his lawn, he'd have his cousin remove him or some shit, and that would be the end of it. Like... I don't understand how this guy doesn't have a friend he grew up with, (laughs) uh, a relative, a cousin, he goes over there himself? Are you kidding me? These guys... Like, I know about these. They don't even get women on their own. They send people to <laughs> to take women to them. Yep. What do you think? He's going to knock on some schlub's door on his own? This is ridiculous. He would definitely have a cousin to take care of. This is what I'm getting at. So that was ridiculous. And I do have to say, most of all, I admire uh, the, uh, the player's decision to still wear six-carat diamond earrings in court <laughs> while <laughs> testifying, because that says I'm a humble guy, and you can believe me right,
3: right. there. They totally would
2: have taken that away from him because he would be able to use it as a shank or something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but
3: maybe his lawyer brought them with him along with his suit. You know how they do that? Yeah, right. There's yeah. so a couple of questions I have about like the entire the way that story kind of unfolds in the second half of the episode. So this is something that happens on Law & Order all the time that I just don't get, uh, and we actually were just upstairs in our kitchen watching an episode, and the same damn thing happened. The perp is sitting with their lawyer, starts talking, and their lawyer says, don't say anything else and the person's like no 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 it's fine i'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> that happens all the time. And like in real life when your lawyer says don't say anything like you don't say anything, you but know? Just, That's what you're paying them to tell you. You
2: shut up. Take a breath. This isn't real life. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know how i know it's not real life? Did you hear that stalking phone call that uh, Walderman left on your phone? Oh Inwood's my goodness. <laughs> oh
2: my god. How did that guy not win an Emmy award for best guest appearance in a voiceover?
3: I owe you, Winwood.
0: Lazy mutt, you're nothing but a dumb jock. No more free ride for you. My boys are gonna kick your overpaid ass back to Philly. Better put the kids to bed unless you want them to see Daddy get schooled.
1: Wow, <laughs> that was terrible. And it wasn't even like he could he could have said that on sports radio. Yeah. Like it wasn't he didn't. <laughs> He didn't, like, call him names. He didn't say, I'm going to get you. He didn't say anything. Like, he was just
2: like, you're not that good at basketball. And then he hung (laughs) up the phone. Like, that's... (laughs) Like, there's no way in real life that guy wouldn't have dropped an N-bomb on him.
3: Right. There was all this... And they, they talked about, like, the coded racial language. There was actually a lot. And this is the problem with law and order, like, especially in a specific era. It's a problem with law and order in general. But, like... There was a lot of race stuff in this episode that was completely unacknowledged, and including the fact that you know that trick McCoy does at the end, making the black guy stand next to the white guy to show how "quote" scary he is. Oh, every
2: concealed carry Uh, guy in America was like, "This is why," (laughs) because a giant hulking black man is going to stand next to my five foot eight body. And and
3: there are all these unacknowledged, actually kind of smart things that they could have done to bring that storyline in. Like there was that great line that I think came up twice: "Like just because you bought a ticket doesn't mean you own me." And that really speaks to this idea, and like a lot of the criticism of professional sports, and you know the sort of appropriation uh, that you know, you know, it's like we have like a lot of these minority players that white people are enriching themselves off of and being entertained by. There's a lot of like dialogue and discussion about that, and there was a lot of that in this episode, including that um, conversation with the high school or college coach. All these stereotypes, like you didn't have a father figure, so I was. It's like there was so much interesting race stuff in this episode that was just left out there and never acknowledged. And then the only, like, explicit th- conversation about race is about this, quote, coded language about race on the answering machine, which mm. didn't even sound like any code I've ever heard <laughs> about race. Yeah,
1: that was the least racist part of the whole episode was that phone call. Like, there was <laughs> exactly. nothing in there about that at all. The whole rest of it was... You mutt.
3: Yeah, a mutt. Like, what is... Like, that's yeah, not that Yeah, that
1: just... I don't see how that was a race thing. Yeah. I, I, he's, my, what is that? He looked all black to me. I don't know what I don't think I, I don't get it. I yeah,
3: don't, no, I, I agree. It, was, had, weird. it was the very coach weird.
1: very, very stereotypically, like covering for him too, like the play, like on crime and sports, we have what we call the silver haired middle aged white man. And that's like a coach or an owner or anyone who is benefiting from. From the athlete uh, in detriment to the athlete himself or society in general, that's like our standard thing. That's like, you know, an an owner of a team that covers for a player like that sort of thing. And that coach was like the perfect race doesn't matter. Silver haired middle aged white man, but they could be any race. It doesn't matter. But the coach really fit that perfectly as he covered for a player on a murder charge, which I found hilarious.
2: Okay, so. Borgia again gets on a train and goes to Philadelphia because that's apparently just everybody can take a, a, a whole day.
3: It's not that far. It's really close. An hour and a half by yeah, train. It no, it's really close, but it's also like not their jurisdiction.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, she goes to the uh, you know the training room, and the trainer says to her, "Hey, how would you
0: like it if people threw things at you and heckled you while you're trying to work?
2: Try walking through a cell block at Rikers. Uh, so, what exactly is Miggs throwing at you, Clarice? Oh. Uh.
3: No, but she's not wrong. Rikers is a terrible place. I oh, wouldn't yeah. want to walk through there looking like Annie Paris does. That would be bad. <laughs>
2: yeah, really?
1: Not good for her. By the way, I love how he said, How'd you like people throwing things at you while you do your job? Five seconds after a guy threw a towel at him and walked out of the room. That, <laughs> that, that's what I thought he was talking about. Like, yeah, these guys are assholes. And then I'm like, Oh, he means the fans. Okay, never mind.
2: Like, I. <laughs> It reminds me of of the the uh, apple tree from The Wizard of Oz. It's like, I'd like someone to come along, and pick something off of you. <laughs> this is the problem that I had with this episode. There's often, you know, a lot of twists and always usually a great twist at the end. And even though we have two suspects that are physically able to commit this murder, right? Uh, it's the basketball player. And it's always the basketball player all the way through. Right. Yeah, the only thing that's sort of a twist is like, oh, this is what got him really mad. Yeah, right. As opposed to being mad enough. They talk. They yeah. talk to
1: the the landlord of the building for you know fifteen seconds, and they figure out that he's not like a thick necked Armenian who's looking to collect extra money. He's just like some, you know some business guy who's just filing lawsuits at will. So, you know what I mean? So that that's not really a, that, that was a quick one. Like, he was off the table as a suspect in under a minute. So that, yeah.
3: Yeah, I think the better constructed episode would have been the opposite. Would have been that the basketball player was the suspect all along, and then it turns out it was because of the rent control thing. Like, to me, that's a much more compelling motive, The $2 million apartment. Yeah.
2: Here are two plot ideas that I have, is that that the agent would have confessed to it and the then understand the cousin, yeah. right? And then at some point, you know, you learned he's like protecting his cousin because he's also the the gravy train for him. And then you know, McCoy, you know, indicts, yeah, uh, you know, the basketball player in the last two minutes. Or Rebecca, you had you kind of like mentioned this as a joke, but this actually would have been really good. Is if what he what was going on is the stalking was because these two guys. Had a love affair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> and you know, you had to kill him because he wanted to get out that, and my they, image and whatnot. Listen,
3: if you decide that that's the plot, and then watch the second half of this episode again you could a hundred percent see it going that way. Yeah. Because all this, like the, the, the phone records, it, they, he left, he left him lots of messages. He called him all the time. You know, this, this guy really got under in skin. Like no one could figure out why it's like, cause they're fucking. That's why.
1: <laughs> That's why he was coming over like, that night. He was knocking on the door. It's like, I don't understand, <laughs> but I'm just attracted to you. You understand? That's why I'm here.
2: <laughs> I can't quit you. I just love you. And
1: I don't know why I can't take it anymore.
2: <laughs> and then I think that, you know, the, Uh, the visual of the giant basketball player standing next to the short white guy would be all the funnier if you thought of them as lovers. Oh, that'd be perfect. Yeah, maybe,
3: maybe. That was actually disturbing to me because that is prejudicial. It was. I don't think that that would be something that would be typically allowed.
0: It's one thing to say that Mr. Inwood is a 6'9", 250-pound professional athlete and Mr. Walderman was a foot shorter, 60 pounds lighter, 15 years older, and an accountant. It's another thing to see the two men side by side, and since Mr. Walderman can't be with us.
1: I love how when the, when the basketball player is standing next to the bailiff and they're doing the comparison, he can't help but make an angry face about it. He's sitting there like, I can't <laughs> fucking believe they're making me do it. It's like... You can't control yourself for 15 seconds. OJ went over to the jury box with a smile with the gloves on. You know what I mean? Like, hey, guys, how you doing? (laughs) I don't know, man. It just doesn't fit. This guy was just like, these motherfuckers, how dare they? Like, don't show rage now. Calm down. Good Lord. That was bad.
2: Yeah, he should have shrunk down a little bit. Yeah. Like OJ faked the glove being too tight. Slouch. Yeah. He should have been kind of slouchy. Limp yeah. off the yeah. stand like, yeah, I hurt my knee
1: last week. And, the, you know, really just make yourself look as physically. Uh, yeah, the the bailiff was definitely not a physical specimen. So that was uh, they, I liked how they had the exact same person as the guy who was killed. We have a we, we have the exact same model right here. We'll just plug him in.
2: How do you think he felt though when he's listening to this case going on? They keep talking about the victim as this couch potato schlub who was out of shape, <laughs> just like you. Come up here. Come on down, Craig. Come over here. here. Yeah, come here. Come here. Let me see you. You're yeah. in terrible shape. Yeah. The come guys here. like now I'm a fucking exhibit <laughs> yeah. in here, Craig. I do not get paid enough.
1: You look like shit. Come on over here, bailiff. Let's do it. <laughs> Very
3: nice. And for the amount of violent crime we've seen happen in courtrooms on Law and Order specifically you'd think there'd be like a slightly higher requirement for the physical capabilities and size of the yes. bailiff. Although
2: yeah. no, they're all retired cops that are working <laughs> their, on their pension. Tiny,
3: fat retired cops.
2: <laughs> yeah, That's all I know that do that <laughs> job. Uh, but he's probably the youngest one by 30 years. Yep.
3: yep. So
2: I'm just glad, the guy probably standing there, and I think, again, another twist could have been while the bailiff is standing there, McCoy says, okay, now demonstrate by picking him up by the neck. <laughs>
1: That would have been great. That would have been great. I wanted an acquittal in this case. That would have been the plot twist. Just we find him not guilty. McCoy turns and goes, I don't understand it. And they go, well, you didn't have any evidence. All you had was a fingerprint. And he has a lot of money and a high-powered attorney. And that's the way the world works, asshole. That would have been a great ending to the episode. But I don't think it would have been as satisfying to the viewing
0: audience at home. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest. But let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
2: In a fast-paced world, every
1: day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.
2: Let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines.
0: You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines.
4: This episode was inspired by the infamous brawl between the Indiana Pacers and Detroit Pistons at the Palace of Auburn Hills in 2004. With only 45 seconds left in the game, Detroit's Ron Artest fouled Ben Wallace on a layup. This resulted in shoving and pushing amongst the players. To calm himself, Artest laid on the official's table when he was hit by a cup of Diet Coke thrown by a fan. Artest charged into the stands and punched a guy, he mistakenly thought, through the soda. The player was then slugged by the other fan and Wallace's brother, who was at the game. Other players dove into the crowd, swinging at fans and one another. A radio announcer was trampled and broke five vertebrae. As security hurried the paces off the court, beer, food and bottles rained down on them. Someone even threw a folding chair. Fans rushed the court. Charlie Haddad and another fan charged Artest. Haddad fell during the tussle, then was punched by two players. Haddad was well known by security guards for saying he wanted to get into a fight with a player so he could get a big payout. The press dubbed it the Malice at the Palace. It resulted in nine suspensions, 11 million in lost player pay, and criminal charges for five Pacers and seven Pistons fans. In 2011, Artest legally changed his name to Meta World Peace. <laughs>
2: perfect appropriate so uh, final score Pacers 97 Pistons 82 Jermaine O'Neal got a double double (laughs) so James they say this is the worst brawl in NBA history was it?
1: Uh, well, maybe with the fans, I'd say the one in the seventies where Rudy Tomjanovich almost died from getting punched sucker punch from the back. I would say that was probably worse as far as injuries go, maybe. But, uh, cause he was like, he he literally almost died from that. The, the ex coach of the, uh, rockets for years and years, Rudy Tomjanovich. Uh, but besides Mm -hmm. that, um, It was pretty damn bad. Yeah, you never see a brawl with the fans. You had Vernon Maxwell run up into the stands and punch a singular guy, and that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. But uh, this was more scary and less funny. So, yeah, I would say it's pretty damn bad.
2: Rebecca, have you ever seen this fight where the players, like, actually climb over the officials' table and whatnot? Yeah.
3: I have. I remember this. um, But what I don't understand is that there was a fan who people who worked at the arena – had frequently heard him say he wanted to get into a fight with the player so he could get a big payout. Yeah, That sounds either like a super bullshit story or that the security at this arena were not doing their fucking job. Because, like, why would that guy be allowed to come to any more games? <laughs> well, I don't
2: know. O'Neal said that to the press, but nobody contradicted him. Yeah. I, but But like they said in the Law & Order episode... You have season tickets with a bunch of other people who have season tickets. Right. You know everybody in right. yeah. that area. Right. Yeah. So, if you had an asshole in your section, you would know, yeah. you know, why he's an asshole.
3: Yeah. He's like drunk uncle. I
1: am also happy that this guy got killed in this episode. Uh he did deserve it. He was an asshole and <laughs> uh <laughs> If I'm on that jury, I am I'm I'm leaning toward if you came to my house and threatened my family and all that, I might get you in a headlock too, and if you broke your neck because you're not in shape, that's kinda on you. Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. That's I, I might be leaning towards acquittal on this one, I gotta say, if I if I'm being honest here.
2: Back in real life for a second here, <laughs> you know, what would be criminal assault in a bar or someplace like that is considered just part of the game and police don't usually get involved with any sort of on the ice or on the court or on the field. Mm
3: -hmm. Fighting.
2: Fighting and unsportsmanlike conduct that otherwise would would draw charges. Um, I can remember a a Bruins player getting... um, Getting charged criminally for a bad, you know, shot with his stick to the head of somebody took him out. But yeah, I think uh, Marty
1: McSorley got got charged with that uh, for I think you're right for yeah. A stick. Yeah, yeah, that uh, yeah, it's only really hockey that I've seen that in. I think uh, I'm trying to think. I can't really think of anything else any other sport i think because you have a weapon in hockey that might be it although base, yeah, tr- <laughs> baseball i've seen guys with bats in their hand charge people and stuff and they didn't get charged i don't know that's a, a great that's a really gray area i guess i'm not sure
2: yeah and i guess it's just what uh you know if a fan jumps on the court it's trespassing hmm That's kind of a stupid show. Well, this is the
3: thing about professional (laughs) sports, right? Like the leagues can do whatever they want. They basically have their own police. They have their own like judicial system, as we've learned from many cases that have unfolded in the last few years, their own discipline system. And kind of like a lot of institutions, they're reticent to open themselves up to the same kind of scrutiny that just like regular people have, right? Right. So then you have players out in the real world. And they're also contending with, uh, especially now, um, you know, issues around like race and like, you know, the conduct you're supposed to have. And you think about like what's happened to um, LeBron James, like he's had attacks at his house, mm-hmm. had rac- yeah. racist graffiti mm-hmm. scrawled Vandalized. at his front gate. Yeah, right. And, you know, would he have been within his right to go to that guy's house and pick him up by the neck? Like, you know, a fair person might say, sure, But he also knows he's in the—you know, it's the real world, and Mm -hmm. there are—he's not likely to fare well at trial as a super tall black guy when you see him when they play the same kind of stupid trick. James, how much
2: should the fans have been blamed for this malice at the palace? I mean, it's been a long time, so— statute of limitations is passed feel free to speak I, free of
1: <laughs> <that>. <laughs> yeah I, I never do so i'll actually i'll let loose for once <laughs> no i i i think i i'm at th- i'm of the of the mindset of uh don't don't poke people especially if you're if you're if you're a five foot nine, forty two 42 year old physically out of shape person, don't start a fight with a guy who's six foot nine and an amazing athletic shape and could break <laughs> your neck by getting you in a headlock. You know, I, I'm, I, I was on the player side for that. Uh, if you throw something at the player and you hit the player and they're, they're in another mindset. They're not in a mindset of it's being... It's not a dunk tank. Yeah, exactly. They're in a mindset of we're... I'm, I'm in a fight with this other team. Everything's very heated. Everything's going and you throw a thing at them. You're, you're. You're. It's a controlled environment that you're throwing an uncontrolled thing into and you can't expect the experiment to go the same way at that point, I feel like. Uh, you have to have the security to protect uh, that environment. So yeah, I, I'm on the player side. Break all the necks you want if people are bothering you. Go ahead, players.
2: Here's what kind of bothers me about You know, this incident is that it's one thing if a thrown beer causes this tribalistic fight but it was a diet coke <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most unmasculine thing yeah. that you could throw and it's not even James it's not even regular coke diet coke is not sticky
1: that's the, yeah you know what you're right about that Yeah, he could, maybe he doesn't like NutraSweet or whatever they put in it there at the time he was very upset about that he's like I like real coke he got pissed off you know that could have been it that could have been what, what are you a diabetic he, thought, you know, he called him a pussy and then he jumped into the stands I'm not sure what happened and the whole thing was a disaster.
2: Well, that's going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, James Petragallo. Where can our listeners follow you online, James?
1: Uh, you can follow me at Jimmy P is funny uh, on Twitter and wherever else on there. And of course, listen to crime and sports and small town murder. And uh, P.S. I hate this movie. And uh, you'll never get uh, you'll never get too much of me
2: with the, all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> You'll always have too much, either one. Rebecca Lavoy, where can our listeners follow you?
3: Well, uh, you can listen to Crime Writers On. You can listen to Mom and Dad Are Fighting from Slate. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie.
2: And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flint. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn is the queen of swag. To get ad free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at StitcherPremium.com slash crime. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio. And is a (laughs) production of Partners in (laughs) Crime Media.